0: Thank you, Allie, for leading us this morning. So we're uh, continuing our series this morning called Getting Involved with God, where we're turning to a few Old Testament passages, some of them familiar, some of them a little less familiar, to inquire as to how do we as human beings get involved with God? Or is this even possible? Or who would come up with this strange notion in the first place? Today's story has a setting of a desert. And maybe people in Seattle, people in Florida, or people in New Jersey resonate with different landscapes in Scripture. But for me, I take a lot of comfort in so many of these desert stories where God is present to people in the midst of, as the psalmist said, a dry and weary land where there is no water. Now, we've had some as of late, but in general, we are more of a desert climate than a tsunami sort of climate so um, here again the biblical setting is desert and we kind of remember back the story as the book of Exodus begins until the end of chapter 2 God is not really a player God is not mentioned the story the the author is not telling us anything about God until the end of chapter two now in the final sentences of chapter 2 God becomes the subject of Of a string of verbs. God hears. God remembers. God sees. God knows. God saw his people. That they were suffering. And the chapter closes with the sentence. And God knew. God knew. What did God know? And where is this story going? What is God going to do with the knowledge that he has? This cliffhanger of God knew sets us up for the story, our meeting with Moses in the desert. Now you'll remember that Moses fled to the desert, not because he was, had a wild hair or he joined Sierra Club and he wanted to go see the national parks. Moses flees to the desert because he committed murder, remember, and he's getting away. He kills an Egyptian who was wailing on one of his people And Moses had to leave. He had to get out of there because Pharaoh's trying to kill him. So Moses leaves, and he leaves town. He ends up in the middle of this desert, running into a priest who's a shepherd, and gives him work. He finds a wife there, and so his father-in-law, Jethro, is the one he's working for now. And he's about the work of his father-in-law. He's tending the sheep. He's moving around in the desert the way that shepherds do. The text indicates that Moses is deep in the desert. He's not just kind of on the fringes, but he's out there in the middle of it. Mount Horeb, Mount Sinai, the mountain of God, is roughly three miles from the Nile River, which is the main water source. And it's sort of ironic that Moses, whose very name means drawn from the water, and from the beginning of his life, he's associated with water, and here he is meeting God, not in the river, but in the desert. One thing that... Is not in the text, but I imagine as Moses is walking through the desert, when we just think about conditions, I think burn ban, right? Burn ban. If little Smokey the Bear sign was set up in the wilderness at Mount Sinai, that burn ban, usually fire danger is going to be moderate to high. You're not going to be out there at times where it's like, you know, things are, not, no, no fire danger, no fire danger. But the burn ban is on, the fire danger is high, and we read, The text that Ali read for us, and the angel of the Lord appeared to Moses in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. I just imagine Moses' initial reaction of something on fire in the desert being like, oh no, Like, how do I put it out? Oh wait, I can't put it out. It's a fire in the desert. Where can I go? Where can I run? Where are my sheep going to be safe? What are we going to do? But he looks at the bush that's on fire and he notices something strange. The fire's not spreading. The bush is not consumed. It's just like a torch. It just keeps burning. And Moses is prompted by curiosity, leads him to investigate the scene. So he's about the business of being a shepherd until he notices his strange feet. He looks over and he says, okay, I got to go. I got to go see what's going on. He looked and behold, the bush was burning and it was not consumed. And Moses said, I must turn aside. To see this great side. I must turn aside. I have to go look. Moses sees and then Moses thinks. The storyteller lets us in on Moses' thoughts. Isn't it great? We know what Moses was thinking in the moment. I must turn aside and see this great side. Why in the world the bush is on fire but not burning up? In part, there's a piece of this story that has to do with turning aside from work. And security to entertain what God might be up to, what strange thing God might be doing in the desert. When I think of God speaking, I don't always just think of you know clear certain terms. Sometimes we want God to speak that way, but it seems God typically doesn't speak with those clear billboard type things. You know, it's God is speaking to us and we are moving from a place where we've created work and security around us. And then we're having to go out into unknown territory to find out what in the world God might be saying to us and what in the world we might be needing to do because of it. On one hand, a burning bush moment might come along once or twice in somebody's life. We can point to these cataclysmic things and say, my life is going in this direction. I had a burning bush moment and around, and now my life is going in this direction. You know, I have one or two of those the reason that I'm here as a pastor today and not a rancher or in prison or wherever I would have ended up otherwise. Burning bush moments. We all claim to have had a burning bush moment when we chose our spouse, right? Because people ask us, the next generation's now, how did you know, Jim Bob, how did you know that she was the one? And we all say, like we're on repeat, oh, you'll just know. You'll just know, indicating that we had some sort of burning bush moment. When in reality we may we may or may not have, but that's what we say because that's the call, that's what you're supposed to say. And we're thinking, I didn't really have a burning bush moment. I just decided, you know what? I was thinking I could live my rest of my life with her, or I could live the rest of my life with you know some unknown variable, and in the interest of certainty and just getting on with life, I'll choose her. Um so it just depends, you know. Sometimes it's a burning bush, sometimes it's logic and algebra. So either way. We, we do have some major moments in our life. On the other hand, in the words of the poet Elizabeth Barrett Browning, Earth is crammed with heaven, and every common bush is on fire with God. But only he who sees takes off his shoes. The rest sit around and pluck blackberries. I always love that poem because it points out the fact that God is alive in ordinary things. Right. Everywhere we look and everything we do, there's, there's burning bushes all over the place. And Browning is saying we're just, we just don't always see it because we're not willing to take off our shoes. Now that's the catch. So on one hand, we have these major moments that don't come along very often. On the other hand, every day is an opportunity for a burning bush experience. Either way, God is calling. God is meeting. God is coming around. And when things seem dire, like my people are in slavery, I'm on the hook for murder, and I'm working a job out here where no one can find me, God seems to call. Moses turns aside to look. I must turn aside and see this great sight. And then immediately after Moses sees, the storyteller says that God saw. Moses saw, and he turned. And then God saw that Moses saw and turned. And then God speaks to Moses. Moses, Moses. And Moses says, here I am. What a great time for God to call. What a great time for God to call in the midst of his people. What a great time for God to call in the midst of a world. I mean, it's natural for us living at times like this to look around and say, gosh, it's worse than it's ever been. The church history books and the history books tell us, you know, it may be bad, but it's been this bad before. Uh, as a clergy person, I have a vested interest in how, you know, the behavior of other clergy and the worldwide perception of clergy. It's a great time for God to call new clergy, right? We are more aware of corruption among clergy maybe than we've ever been aware of it. And thanks be to God for the exposure of it. But what a great time for God to call new clergy. What a great time for God to call new doctors. What a great time for God to call teachers. What a great time for God to call mothers and fathers grandparents, politicians and businessmen and women. Wouldn't it be like God to call now folks who would serve from a place of love and sacrifice rather than self-interest? When the Lord saw that Moses turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses. Moses. So now, God is a main character. God is driving the engine a little bit, and we're encountering, sometimes for the first time when we read this story, a God who's interacting with people. And for the ancient Near East imagination, when God interacted with people, it was usually because God was upset, right? You didn't, you dealt with gods who were finicky, they were bribing people, they were Elaborate, they were needy, these needy gods. And when gods acted in the ancient Near East and their storytelling, it was because someone woke them up from a nap and they were ticked, right? Oh gosh, these people, they, they're, with their wailing and their carrying on, they woke me up from a nap and now I'm mad and I'm about to torch somebody. That's how God interacted with people. Or, I'm gonna bribe these people if they bring me sacrifices and they'll do things for me, I'll make sure that their crops, uh, don't get completely destroyed by pests this year. That's what they thought of when they thought of gods, things that you had to appease, gods that weren't really gods at all, gods that you hope to just go unnoticed by, right? With those kind of gods, no news is good news. If I don't hear from the gods, I'm good, right? I have escaped the wrath, and I'm under the radar. But the God of Israel speaks. The God of Israel brings news. God of Israel speaks from the humble place of a bush. God is not needy, but responsive. He's alive and patient. He's listening. This God is involved. When I think of the burning bush, you know, the gods in the ancient Near East, they were associated with uh, living in if they were in the landscape they were in these sacred trees these majestic trees these towering trees and so here comes the god of israel you know appearing in what i think of as like sagebrush there's a little desert bush and i mean is there anything more ordinary than a bush have you ever removed a bush because you just got tired of it you thought i'm going to take that thing out it's so ugly it's been there so long Another one will grow in its place if I just leave it alone. They're, they're prolific. You just can't trim them enough. You can't get rid of them if you're in town or whatever. And even in the desert, even in the wilderness, you know, we have these little brush that keep the pheasant population alive where I'm from. And they're just scattered out among the otherwise flat grasslands, these tiny little bushes. And I just imagine just going out across the pasture and, oh, there's a little fire a of a sagebrush, a little bush out there. Ordinary deal. The good news, part of the good news of this story for Moses and for the people of God and then down the line for us is that God has turned aside. Moses says, I must turn aside. But here we have God, the God of creation, saying, I must turn aside. I've seen my people. I've heard my people. I've heard their cries. And I've seen Moses as a potential leader. I've seen him turn and incline his ear. And now I am turning aside. Us getting involved with God begins with the news that God is already involved with us. Not because He has to be, but because He chooses to be. God is not needy and needing a pal. He doesn't need a buddy. He wants us to have life. He chooses us. He chooses to create us and then He chooses to redeem us out of His sheer generosity. Not needing a thing. God, a holy God, a God who is other, who we can't even be in His presence, has come down all the way, literally to the ground, to a bush, a ground bush. Gregory of Nyssa was a uh, fourth-century bishop and pastor in Asia Minor, and uh, was a very influential theologian. His writings we still have today. As some of his pastoral writings are, are my favorite things uh, that I've that I've got, and he makes the observation. That just as the presence of God is burning, but not consuming the bush, he said this is an analogous to the presence of Jesus, the Son of God, in the womb of Mary, the mother of God. Right? He says the presence of God within us, but not consuming. This miracle of God with us, Emmanuel, he's saying that's, that's you know, Mary knows what that's like. The burning bush, Moses and Mary, these people that God spoke with, and two that he came so near too. Like no one else in the Old Testament speaks to God this way, face to face. Like Moses, there's even one bit in the Testament where it's mouth to mouth that God speaks to Moses. And and it, we don't see that again until Mary. And here she is, her very body alive with the presence and life of God, and she is not being consumed. right? Her body is not being destroyed, but she's giving life. This bush, God with us and not destroying us. Moses' response then to God's call. Moses said, here I am. I I came to look. I heard your voice. Here I am. And God said, do not come near. Take off the sandals from your feet. For the place which you are standing is holy ground. And God said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face. But he was afraid to look at God. In the midst of the good news that God has come near, the peace that we see in this story and others in the parables of Jesus is that so many times the difference is those who are willing to listen, those who have eyes to see, as Jesus said, right, or ears to hear, who is paying attention when God condescends and shows up in the humility of our world. As I reflected on this passage this week and this idea of responding to a holy God who has come very near out of love for us, I realized that very often I need an increase in the fear of the Lord in my life. I need an increase in reverence. I need to notice more times that a holy God is all around me and all around us. I know that I don't recognize holy ground like I should. Isaiah has a list of gifts of the Holy Spirit. And one of those gifts is the fear of the Lord. How in the world can fear be a gift? The fear of the Lord. But God meeting with us transforms the nature of our fear. We, We we give up a servile fear where I am, I'm just afraid of God. I'm, I'm afraid of being destroyed. I'm afraid of being abandoned. I'm afraid that no one sees me. I'm just afraid. I'm paralyzed. That's a servile fear. That's a fear that says I, I don't, I don't belong here. I don't have a place here. We exchange that in the presence of God for a healthy and holy fear of God. A fear that leaves us with peace a fear that leaves us with the treasure of knowing that God sees me, God noticed me. God sees me in the humility and the ordinariness of my work, my life, and my home. And he has come near. And I can see that. I'm going to take my sandals off and I'm going to acknowledge the holiness of God. I need this in my life. I'm praying for this right now, for me and for us. What would it look like We were awake to these things. God is involved with us. That's the very good news. I believe that his invitation to us is to turn aside like Moses, to go investigate, to hear, to wonder, eyes to see, ears to hear. I must turn aside and see why in the world that bush is on fire. And it's not being consumed. May we have the grace. May we have the courage. May we have the heart. May we have the eyes to see and the ears to hear. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.